Ready. Okay. okay. Now that you're ready, I started recording. This is <laughs> almost live. <laughs> Wednesday, shot of digital health therapy. It is, it is. Wear your oh, mask no. Wednesday. So what, what do you got going on in your face there, Eugene? Uh, so I just, it's crazy. I just updated Zoom because they keep uh, kind of updating things. And then I noticed you can do like these kind of Snapchatty filters. Um, and as soon as I showed it to Marina, she was like, oh no, he's going to start doing this all the time, which is, she is right. And I'm on TV now. <laughs> That's epic. It's great. I, I actually kind of like it. it. Makes it a little more fun. Um, though, yeah. it, you know, it was interesting. I tweeted the other day, um, I got an invite to a call and in the subject it said video optional. I mean, think about some of the dynamics these days, right? Just people thinking about kind of Zoom overload, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. video, like we're not asking you what's the courtesy on that, you know, what, you know what's the etiquette, right? Like how do I, um, do I require that you go on? You know, I think it's also interesting, like when, when you go on a call, like when you're doing a call and the other people don't put their video on and then now yep. they have to kind of explain themselves. Right. Yeah. I, and it's funny because I'm actually, I'm the first one and same thing with Marina. Like we, you know, we, we had to take calls together. I'm always the one like, you know, let's put the camera on and especially in these days, get to know people. Right. <laughs> but I think people are pretty zoomed out. Right. And so it's, I, I don't yeah. actually know the etiquette. Um, and I also saw, Kind of on the same note, uh, Chrissy Farr tweeted something, kind of what is the etiquette for tele telemedicine doctors these days, right? Like, what do they wear? Do they wear, you know? Yeah, suit and tie, you know, kind of, yeah, like, yeah, are they formal? Are they cash, right? And like, what's the difference? Do they need pants? And <laughs> 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 we're, I think we have now recorded, yeah. at least according to Megaphone, uh, there's like 18 uh, so I don't think we've done 18 episodes, but like 16 or 17 for sure. And I'm okay. not gonna, I'm not gonna let anybody know how many of them were with my pants on or not. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a like little that, bit of a. In the, um, in the cancel culture now, like it's totally appropriate to go to a business meeting without your pants on, right? Like <laughs> it's kind of, it's a little bit of a, it's a, a Zoom, a Zoom meeting. <laughs> exactly. You don't go there. Um, in, uh, in, in other news, I just got an email and I have no idea how, uh, but apparently um, Amazon Music plus Audible are now launching and soliciting podcasts. So I've submitted us to them, which is great, okay. right? So yeah. we're, I, I don't know, can we consider that we now have an Amazon partnership as well? Yeah, it was only a matter of time before, you know, Bezos came hunting for us, you know, it was Washington Post, our <laughs> <laughs> it was only a matter of time. <laughs> so I actually, and you know, I'll try to find that picture for anybody who is curious. You know, I, I'm also bold like Jeff Bezos. And I used to wear this like vest. So my younger daughter, Shane, she actually did like, a, you know, she took a picture of me walking uh, right. with it on and like transposed like or next to each other. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I guess some people see some similarities. Um, Cool. Yeah. Um, in, in other news, I saw, uh, you know, something uh, around Epic, uh, Epic software that they're actually requiring employees to go in. Uh, you know, Cerner is taking a very different approach, for example. Um, and then Novartis just announced flexible working model. Right. And so maybe with that 
might be good to kind of do a brief intro and he'll he'll introduce yeah. himself. Um, so I made I met Jacob a number of times, mostly during JPM. Um, uh, and uh, so Jacob Laporte, I'm doing it with a French accent. I don't know why, to be honest, but um, I'm going to let him in and let's get this moving. Awesome. And I've met, I think, similarly to you, I met Jacob um, at JP Morgan. So, hey, Jacob, you're connecting your audio there. He sure is. We almost got him. And we lost him last week because in New Jersey. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> hey, Jacob. Let me, let me raise the volume. <laughs> I can, it sounds like you guys are whispering. I think okay. it's just my, it's just my, it's just my volume. No, we're okay, doing yeah. this on purpose to confuse you. <laughs> I, Eugene, I'm, I'm not, I can't be confused because I'm, I'm too easily confused. So if you're actually <laughs> trying to confuse me, then that's, that's going to, that's going to be a major problem. It's like a baseline level of confusion. Right, right. There's, yeah, I already have a pretty high baseline of, of confusion. <laughs> right, so. right. Like it doesn't have <laughs> that's a great that's a great way to introduce yourself um but you know i uh we, we always yeah you know the, i hi i'm i'm jake laporte i have a i have a high baseline of confusion <laughs> right, right seeking clarity <laughs> we'll, we'll have a confusion bar confusion bar going uh on, on, on this show yeah and it on. could go up and down throughout the uh <laughs> it's my yeah, confusion like meter. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway. I've got to do the headphones, guys, because my um my speakers on my computer are just like all messed up. So Sorry. I actually have headphones on too. I'm just completely virtual reality rendering of myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. You just you just I'm took us like there. ten years ahead. Jim Joyce, 10 years yeah. ahead. This is like, you know, the, impl the implantables that you can actually use to talk, you know, right. Neuralink. Uh, so Jacob, I was trying to pronounce your name. I, I did it, I think, with a French accent before. Um, so I, you know, I don't know if you guys can hear me. Uh, you should I, definitely I, do that. Uh, but yep. why don't you say it for our listeners? Okay, Laporte. Okay. It's very un-French. Um, way of pronouncing I, I it. I said guess. La, la <laughs> You should definitely say that. I mean, if people could go around saying that, I, it would be amazing. So, so Jacob, so Eugene did a, a very light draw. I don't think you even introduced him at all, really, Eugene. So would you would you introduce yourself no, actually. so we know who we have on the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm Jacob Laporte. I'm co-founder and global head of the Novartis Biome. Fantastic. And, and I think everyone knows, like we met at, we were at JP Morgan at one of the Irish bars. Right? I crashed your, um, your reception one of those nights with yeah. Schwen. Schwen, it was all Schwen's fault, really. Right. And oh, uh, yes, yeah, so I was at that. <laughs> exactly. It's like the six degrees of Schwen, except it's not really even that much of a challenge because it's more <laughs> like the, the, the two degrees of Schwen. <laughs> so, so yeah, I know. I remember that. Yeah, we were holding court. I think me and my crowd were holding court inside the Irish pub. For you, you and your crowd definitely were, and it seemed very fitting based on uh, where your company is located. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's funny but, but, you see all the like you try to get a meeting with an Irish like biotech or medtech CEO. It would be in an Irish bar. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't get them, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm 
13 meetings back to back, no chance. And then from like, you know, like eight o'clock in the evening to like two in the morning, <laughs> they'll talk to your ear off, you know, they'll talk your ear off. <laughs> So, Anyways, so Jacob, uh, tell us um, a little bit more, and I'm, I'm like cutting in on the bar scene here, but, um, you know, first of all, actually, Jim, we actually have a first here. It is Jacob's birthday today, and he still decided to join the show. So happy birthday. I'm actually, while, while, mm -hmm. while yeah. you congratulate him, I'm going to take like a quarter of a shot for his birthday because it is a shot of digital therapy, digital health therapy. <laughs> why, why make it a quarter? Quarter, other than the sense that you know I've turned 25 today, so. <laughs> other kidding. than it's I wish. two p other than 2 p.m. here in New Jersey, and I actually still have meetings. But I guess you know we we're talking about Irish bars and uh, happy birthday and, and birthdays. So the, pour yourself a half a shot. You deserve it, Eugene. <laughs> you know happy what? Um, I'll do I'll price? do half a shot quarter for each because you actually share a birthday with Glenn Tolman as well. It's his birthday today. So Beautiful. there you go. Beautiful. You, when are you yeah. going IPO? A billion dollars difference. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, you know, <laughs> other than that small factor, L'chaim. L'chaim. So, 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 I mean, I don't know where you want to go with this, Eugene, but I, I, I you're, do we ever? Other than drinking with Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk biome or whatever. I, I actually have to pitch. I have to pitch this new idea that I have no intention of ever launching anywhere. Is um, is I was sitting around and I, I was coming up. I was coming up and I, with Amy the other day, my wife, and it was it was called um, it's called Brainhead. It's called Brainhead. <laughs> Brain, Brainhead. Okay. <laughs> and it's basically like I was in the house and I would I would come up with all these ideas and I would mm -hmm. kind of write them down or tell them to myself and I'd forget them or I'd forget to follow up with stuff. So my son just took the Alexa and kind of put it in a hat and put it on top of my head. And he's like, he's like, dad, just tell every time you have an idea, just tell Alexa and they'll remind you later on. I'm like, there we go. We go. Pray, pray. He's going to brain hat. I thought it was a killer idea. Walking around. Did you register? <laughs> did you register the domain name? No. Yeah. Are you, did you trademark it yet? Yeah. If I register it, then I'll spend the next 10 years of my life pursuing the idea. So I don't, I don't want to go there. <laughs> So are you giving a gift to the audience to see who might want to tackle this? Right, right. Like we'll do a little brain hat, like a, a brain hat. <laughs> but, but so you do look at early stage ideas too. With, you look at all range of ideas, right? It's, it's, it's all range. So the biome, the simplest metaphor that we use is it's sort of like an on-ramp into Novartis, right? Um, so just like in everyday life where it's very difficult for a car to make a hard right or, or left, depending upon which country you're in, from a stop sign onto a, heart, onto a highway, no matter what car you drive. Um, similarly, it's very challenging for an external partner, no matter how big or small they are, to really fit into our highway at Novartis because we're going a certain direction with processes and everything like that, and these companies need to fit in. But we, before the biome, never really had a good way or a good on-ramp um, for those companies. So in essence, what we're looking at is some of the classic challenges at the interface between a large pharma company and the digital health and tech ecosystems. And we're trying to smooth out those, those roadblocks and those challenges to hopefully um, f you know, form much more stronger partnerships, much more constructive partnerships that ultimately lead to uh, better digital solutions down the road.
So, uh, you know, using that analogy, the other day I was driving, you know, the New Jersey roads, right? Yeah. Um, was that's, like, always a, that's, that's always <laughs> a danger, no matter how many on-ramps you might have. <laughs> so, but there was this like, you know, it's like a quadruple exit. It's like, do, 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 right? And I was Amazing. like, oh, crap, you know, do I, did I take the right one, right? <laughs> um, and, and actually, yeah. I ended up taking the wrong one, and I had to like, you know, go all the way around again. So using that analogy, <laughs> are you, we're, are we're you trying not to construct our roads like New Jersey, essentially. <laughs> yeah, is, it, is it like Singapore or New Jersey or, you know, are you like, I always, I always say whenever I go to California with one of an Irish colleague, they just look at me, you know, as we go on the California highway and they go, like an Irishman was never meant to be on a seven-lane road. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It just freaks us out. Uh, I think I think we kind of look like New Jersey now, but our aspiration is to get to a Singapore-like system. Okay, that's good. good. But but this was you don't come from pharma, right? So maybe for our kind of viewers, listeners, what's give us a little more background. Yeah, so it's weird. I've, I've always been in and around the industry, but never actually in it. And it's a really bizarre story. So I started off as a scientist. So I was an organic chemist um, doing work in a lab, making molecules, the, hoping to discover the next drug. And at some point towards the end of my PhD, I um, figured out that while I loved learning about and talking about science, I didn't really love the bench work. So I had to have an honest conversation with myself, um, went through a period of time where I didn't quite know what, what to do. I wound up joining McKinsey and company, uh, only because it was sort of like, I, I, it was, I didn't know what to do, you know, at that point I didn't know. So I joined them and the value proposition at the time was come join us for a couple of years and figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. So I wound up staying at McKinsey for over six years, actually, because I enjoyed it so much. And that's really where I learned about the R&D productivity problem that the industry was facing. So I, I did most of my work in pharma and a lot of work in R&D. And I realized from a business sense that it looked like R&D was almost on an unsustainable path at that point. Now, this is circa 2008. And to some extent, we still suffer from a lot of these same challenges. So I just became very dedicated to trying to make a contribution to that problem. And initially from consulting, got more and more involved in innovation and thinking about how to innovate certain parts of the R&D value chain. Yeah. Um, I wound up going to, uh, I, I wound up starting a company <clears throat> randomly. I left McKinsey. I was like, I, I'm tired of talking about it. I want to try to do something about the problem. One of my clients actually introduced me to a professor at MIT when I was just kind of killing time. And uh, we, we started a company really focused on um, continuous flow chemistry, which is really a new method for creating molecules. And it has a lot of digital elements to it. So it allows you to kind of create digital sort of recipes for these molecules, which then can be sort of machine learning can actually be applied to these, these, these systems and things like that. So it's really cool. That company's still going. But at a certain point, I couldn't pay myself. You know, it just wasn't really feasible for the company to pay me. And so I decided to kind of step away, went to go work for one of my ex-clients um, who I loved, uh, one of my ex-clients at McKinsey, who I, I really, really um, looked up to. Uh, her name is Christine Dingevin. She was the chief medical officer at PPD. And the thesis behind me going to work in the CRO industry was because I was really into clinical innovation. I thought if you could change things in PPD, 
then you're going to affect a larger portfolio uh, of the industry, right? So reasonable thesis, it didn't quite kind of work out the way I thought it was. And at that time, Christine um, got recruited into Novartis by, by Voss to lead a big part of GDD. And then she sort of, you know, kind of helped bring me in to lead digital. And when she told me about sort of the role, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. It was like, you're going to lead digital for clinical trials. I was like, I'm all in, you know, I've got to do this. And so at that time, when I walked in to, to GDD, Voss was head of GDD and he was, and he wasn't asking a question just about what were we doing from a programmatic standpoint, but he was asking, how are we doing digital innovation? Because in his observations, we were doing a lot of stuff, but there wasn't a noticeable impact to the business. Not a lot of things were getting to scale. So he was constantly challenging me around how do we do this better? Right. And so that led me on a parallel path of inquiry and one of the recommendations that come out of that was to say, listen, because we're not digitally native, we're almost always relying on a third party partner to some extent, but we have no way, no systematic way of interacting with these companies. I mean, there was, there were stories of people reading about companies in an economist article and then sort of trying to push those companies. There was no good way to kind of form a relationship. And I saw this firsthand with some of the struggles we had with partners and I'm not going to name names, but we had just had a lot of struggles. And so the idea for the biome was really hatched in, you know, the second half of 2017, because everyone, when I pitched the idea to them, they were like, yeah, we absolutely need this. Right. And it started out in GDD. And then we ultimately shifted over a couple months to uh, an enterprise wide platform in the, uh, to create an enterprise wide platform in the chief digital office. So across all digital, like, yeah. right, right. Because it was clear. So at that time, a couple things happened. So Voss got promoted to CEO, which was fantastic. Um, and the platform, it was recognized that it wasn't, it wasn't something, you know, specific to clinical development. Right. Um, this is really an enterprise wide type of uh, open innovation platform. So then we shifted to the chief digital office who, by, when, when we pitched the idea for the biome, the chief digital office didn't even exist at that point in time. So, right. so there's a lot of new things that happened in our company so, that led us to the chief. So let, let's uh, let's rewind a little bit back. It was actually interesting. You mentioned, uh, you know, the productivity, the R&D productivity. Um, and I think you guys know, and for the listeners, I'm still in the process of writing that book. <laughs> um, but one of my, my, the first chapter actually is on the e-room law, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, yep. and actually the fact, uh, so for the listeners and the viewers, it's the reverse of the Moore's law, right? Doubling. If you look at the chart X, Y axes, mm -hmm. the productivity has just been declining over years, right? Yep. Um, and so, you know, at the core of it, you know, I personally look at pharma, it's still large or small, it's producing molecules that help people get better, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, with this decline, Amy, look, we just saw the announcement, I think yesterday, the day before yesterday, 120 million, uh, Adam Wise, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have players like Cyclica, uh, Insilico, you know, I, I won't, you know, there's probably 150 companies in AI for drug discovery. In Citro, yeah, yeah, yeah there's a I mean, bunch of them. And they're all doing great, great stuff. I mean, these are like great entrepreneurs that are kicking ass, doing, growing, uh, just, I mean, I'm curious, kind of A, from the focus, B, where do you actually see this going, right? Like, is the trend going to, is that, is that X, Y, X, is that your room going to reverse at some point? Uh, I don't know. Just curious. It, it, I think it's, I think we've got to find a way 
forward. And so therefore, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic that that trend will reverse because when you look back in human history, we've been faced with very complex challenges before. And, and when, as a community, we had the initiative to get together and solve them, we, we typically overcome those challenges. So I'm quite optimistic. I think we're starting to see some of these basic technology pl uh, paradigms really start to um, have some initial maturity in the healthcare. And I think it's just going to lead to great things. So I don't really know if any of these companies, this first round of AI drug discovery companies will succeed. Um, but importantly, they will be laying the foundation for things, if they do not, that will ultimately succeed. It's important work and inquiries that these companies are making that we will build from. Absolutely. And I think absolutely AI will have a big part in drug discovery and development. I always found it interesting. Like, uh, you know, we have a, you know, what my, my company's tool and, and, you know, we have, you know, it's a, it's a at its, at its core, it's a pretty simple innovation that you know, the, the tracking of injectable events. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so there was always, there was always an obvious use case in clinical trials. And, um, and I was hesitant to, pursue that as an entrepreneur that's kind of raising capital and going after it because, you know, you had to just place your bets, right? Like, were you going to yep. chase the commercial organizations? Were you going to chase the clinical research organizations? And they're very- You, you better place your bets on commercial. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, hats off to people that innovate in the clinical space. It's, it's so needed. And I, I just am just so impressed with all the entrepreneurs in that space, but boy, are they taking on a hard problem. <laughs> Right. And I always felt like you had this, you had this layer, like, you know, your alma mater of PPD or, the, you know, and, the, and they're good companies. It's not, but you have this kind of disconnect on the business model that the pharma companies have largely outsourced the kind of, you know, the tonnage around, you know, doing ex, you know, doing the clinical research activities. And then the next layer of the business model gets paid lar largely on, you know, services, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. people and time. Right. So, so they don't get paid on discovery. Right get paid on providing this, you know, the picks and the shovels and whatever the system is. So then when, then, then when I come up with, like I say, a tool like mine, or even the, you know, the AI tools, mm -hmm. you go into those companies, you think, oh, well, they'll, you know, they'll be really interested, but it's in contradiction to their model, because if they gain an efficiency, you know, then they might build less time. So they have to have a really long-term you're, perspective. You're bringing up a dirty little secret of the pharma services industry there. <laughs> Yeah. So sorry, I don't mean to make contributions. <laughs> it's no I, I might stay away from it, uh, given my my <laughs> my yeah, previous but, history. But, but I, I think I think you might be onto something. <laughs> but but I'll say no. But but even like with that, like I think about it as a like say say us as a, you know like or, or take Eugene's company or any of the, or even you as like as you're setting up the biome and mm -hmm. you know controlling budgets. I think this kind of responsibility of the ecosystem of your suppliers and your service providers. Mm -hmm is really fascinating because, you know, you have this incredible, if you have any, even as a small company, say with us, you have incredible amount of influence on the marketplace that you create by what you buy, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you buy or something, you create this, like, you know, you may be there. I mean, like many a times in my even entrepreneur career, like I've been foundational, I've been a foundational buyer of companies that have gone on sometimes to do bigger things than what I've done, right? You know, mm -hmm. so this idea that like, you know, this procurement processes, like you say, in creating the on-ramp and the fact that the procurement processes just aren't set up to buy digital efficiently. Isn't that like... That, that's definitely a lot of the problem. And, and, and so we're 
you know, just to kind of maybe pat myself, well, actually more of my colleagues on the back, we're actually trying to do that hard work at Novartis. So we're, we're looking at those business processes related to procurement, IT security checks, independent supplier reviews. And we're asking the question, how, how do we do this in a fit for purpose way for not only digital companies, but the size and scale of the company and what they're actually going to be doing for us? Because right now, and I think this is true of most companies, it's, it's more or less a, a one size fits all model. So we're applying the same processes to a Fortune 500 company and, and a small company and, and they can be absolutely crushing as you know. So we're, we're actually, we all are, we have an organization that's spun up to, to really look at this and start creating uh, global processes that, that really are more fit for purpose. I'm, I'm just gonna like transcribe this episode and it's gonna be like a dedicated chapter. Yeah. The Novartis biome. <laughs> well, I'm just standing on the, on the shoulder of giants, Eugene. Um, so. uh, the other thing I think is, is just, I, you know, I just wanted your take on this is like, again, when you, when you buy in innovations, like you're buying in digital innovation or something that's kind of new, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like so much of that buying in that innovation comes down to the founder. Right. Like, so you're buying from a company, mm -hmm. like if you're buying like, you know, your coach services from Eugene or, you know, and you're walking in and like, or you're in that founder, you know, cause as the company explores, you know, what it's capable of doing. Yep. So if the founder is on the end of the trajectory and going for a trade sale, if the mm -hmm. founder is going to run this company for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never heard anyone talk about that being a piece of the puzzle. It's all about the wizardry, the tech, where they yeah. are specifically. But, but Jim, before you, Jacob, you and I'm yeah. actually curious how you guys do it, but like I, to me, I don't know if it's pharma or not. I mean, I, at least my perspective is people work with people, right? Um, and especially at this early stage, I, I don't know, like I always looked at it, you invest the time and effort into the founding team and the entrepreneurs, at least, you know, I would say the startup side. Um, once you grow, still people, right? It's just, I don't know. Like, I'm curious. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's, that's definitely a huge element is at the end of the day, as much as we'd like to think that we're making systematic decisions, the reality is we know from a lot of studies in neuroscience and human psychology that you're relating to that person um, in, a, in a way that you really consciously can't understand, you know, even. So a lot of the, a lot of decisions are based on that interaction, that gut feel that you have, that that person is going to lead that company to be successful. Now, I, I think obviously it varies depending on the maturity of the company. Um, I th and as Eugene said, when you're in the early stages and there's not a lot of evidence sitting behind that product, a lot of what you're doing, you're making a bet on those, on those leader, on that leadership team that they're going to be able to make it happen. Right. So I'll give you guys a little example. Uh, and we've been actually, uh, your coach, been approached by pharma companies. Um, and so far, just, you know, I still have a little bit tire marks back there. But um, so <laughs> and, I kind and of, you even know what to expect. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's but, saying but something. You know what? We, we've actually been saying no. Uh, and more out of curiosity than anything else, Marina and I took a call, uh, you know, in the last, let's call it a week. Um, and, you know, back to this whole like founder piece, right? Um, so this is the first time, it was a very warm intro, but not any people that we've actually met before, right? Um, 
And we, you know, before you jumped on, uh, Jacob, uh, Jim and I were talking about uh, kind of what's the etiquette for these calls, especially mm. when you're first <laughs> meeting. And like, to me, it's, you know, let's pop the video open. Let's at least get to know each other. Mm. We hop on a phone, which by the way, the invite didn't even have a actual like a WebEx or whatever. It just expected, you know, a dial in for a Teams, right? Yeah. Um, and no faces, no nothing. Um, it's just like, okay, what do you do? And we kind of said, well, you tell us what your names are. Like, I don't, you know, like, it was just like, a, just the approach of it. And so we kind of about, you know, up until later when we, once we have figured a lot of other shit out, um, yeah. you know, there's certainly a proposition, but we, you know, it just, you know, first. Oh. yeah, yeah. I mean, and we think a lot about this. This is entirely what the biome is, is, is about is, you know, really trying to make a better experience for our partners and how they work with us and relate to us. So one of the things that we're thinking a lot about is how do we meet these partners in a more virtual, increasingly virtual world that's only been accelerated by the global pandemic, right? And one of the, one of the things that we're actually developing Okay. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I, I saw that on the, a couple episodes. So <laughs> don't we have to take a shot or something like that? <laughs> 27, 27 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's getting less, right? Less frequent uh, at least. So um, I can't, I can't concentrate with Eugene with that mask. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll take it off. <laughs> um, so we're, we, we're actually creating a product right now um, that's uh, tentatively called the, the digital brain. And the idea is really that um, we're going to have a, a knowledge system in place where we understand all the companies we're interacting with. They can even come in um, onto that platform and update a profile that will be generated based off external company databases like Crunchbase and Health Excel and things like that. Um, but they can update. And we're starting to think about, is there a future where founder can get on and do a one-click NDA, obviously, if they choose to accept the terms, um, and then be able to get an, um, you know, information about the problems we're trying to solve. They can start figuring out how relevant what they're doing is or not. They can get directed to the person in our company that is of relevance to them because we've heard horror stories where you know, companies spend 15, 20 calls just trying to get to the right place in the organization to even pitch their idea or their company to them. So, so we're, we're thinking a lot about this because we know how hard it is for, for these entrepreneurs. It has so, to be like, if you have a way, it, I mean, it, like ultimately it's great to see because it, it's got big kind of competitive advantage. If you have a way to like, if you have a systematic, semi, semi-logical way to interact yeah. with the innovation community, you know, then you'll have a better shot at right like getting deals done. And so it's funny. I, and I, I mean, I might run afoul of kind of, uh, I'm, you know, I should have stated up front that these are expressly my own views, not necessarily <laughs> shared on the artist, but 100%. I, I don't uh, see it. It's meticulously unproduced. So unfortunately I'm not going to cut that and put it in the front, but yeah. So the, <laughs> I, CYA in the middle of the program, yes, um, it's all good. I, I don't, you know, I don't think a lot of what I do is, is, should be, is, or should be a competitive advantage. Um, and, 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 and also I don't think that a lot of digital solutions out there are really competitive advantages. There are some that can, you can argue, take on the look and feel of an asset like digital therapeutics. So I think there's some argument to be made about the competitive advantage of being better at digital therapeutics than one company or not, but by and large digital 
solutions are out there to solve these basic problems that cut across the industry. And I think one of the struggles that we've had as an industry with by not bringing things to scale and having an impact in the health system is that we've taken this approach of operating in silos. And therefore, a lot of these solutions come out and they're kind of piecemeal solutions that exist in some places and others. And they, by and large, have not had a tremendous amount of impact, I would say. I would say it's, it's, it would, we would be doing ourselves more of a service to kind of come together on some of these problems. And so with the digital brain, we're actually thinking about, is there room for a consortium of sorts to come together and say, can we make this a platform for right. the industry? so that everyone can meet partners as effectively and figure out which partners they really need to solve problems. And then is there room to start to collaborate on problems together? I mean, obviously, you know, it'll be by, you know, a company's own decision, but things like adherence. I mean, do we need to have 15 to 20 different solutions on a particular adherence problem? Right, yeah. right. And then you also have the benefit of that. research tools right. that, that drive efficiency across the portfolio right right then your your assets are you know you can develop you know new assets at a at a pace and a speed and a cost right you know, drives it down it might even you know government might even drive down the net price on the product at the end of the day you know you know like on the other side you know and i think i think you know uh, i mean i don't want to speak for our finance department but i think we'd be completely fine with efficiencies you know, I think efficiency should be passed on, on to the, the consumer. I think the problem is what people don't understand right now that's leading to a lot of misinformation and, and some just, you know, frankly, absurd and bizarre conversations happening in the broader public is these things have a tremendous amount of risk to them. All right. I mean, you know, developing drugs, the cost and complexity and the, the risk of, of failure added in is it's tremendously complex. And, you know, we have hard conversations every day about medicines we think we should pursue, but we ultimately can't because we don't have enough money. So I think until that problem solved, I mean, we, we've got to, everyone needs to be a little bit careful, you know? So just, just curious. Um, I mean, obviously everybody's, I think, watching the vaccine development and I know, you know, Novartis doesn't really play, but just, um, you know, from a perspective of a pharma company or a molecular company, let's assume that a vaccine will be available next year and passed through the phases. Sputnik three. Yeah, I mean, how, yeah, <laughs> I woke up to that news. Um, um, you know, I think the dynamic of that, you know, two and a half billion and 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if this actually works, uh, mm -hmm. let's assume next year, what are your thoughts on how does that change the dynamic of the pharma industry that it is potentially possible to get a drug in this case a vaccine out in roughly two years yeah i i would say as a scientist you know there i i would be careful about kind of drawing you know uh or extrapolating off of one or a couple of data points as, as you know eugene I think when it's fantastic to see the community coming together in this way to really accelerate the development of this medicine. Um, and maybe that presents a model by which we should think about the broader development paradigm. Right. right. And, and I would say if we can implement, you know, a, a development paradigm where we collaborate more and we get drugs to market faster and, and show that as a sustained trend, 
then I, I would be incredibly optimistic. I think it's certainly something we, we need to consider, right? But right. I, I would be, I, I'm just, I, you know, I, I'm just a little bit nervous to kind of take one data point and say, you know, that's, that's definitely the future. I'm with you. Yeah. I just had I just had a half a shot, so I figured I'd ask that question. If you, if you think about this, like you know, like what's happening, like even the the fallacy of you know the announcement, you know, this morning with Russia developing the vaccination. So you can say, you know, a lot of us can kind of quickly criticize that, like they obviously, you know, they haven't gone through all the rigor that mm -hmm. you know, the other geographies. But you know, every American, like every American, like we grew up competing with Russia to get to the moon. Right. Right? And if that competition wasn't there and you look at the mapping of the genome process, it was all about the competition, you know, focusing mm -hmm. mind. And, and is this, you know, this clinical trial system that we have set up, is that fit for purpose for addressing a pandemic, you know, where, you know, the, the trade-off of, you know, safety and efficacy, you know, as people, their food lines are forming and right. losing their, their jobs and, you know, all these things going on. And you kind of say, there's no way it is because it just wasn't designed to deal with the pandemic, right? You know, so, so you can criticize, you know, maybe the more aggressive, you know, less kind of regulated, you know, countries, but they also are bringing it, like, if you open your mind to it, it's like, hey, at pandemic times, we might need to look at studies a little bit differently, you know? Yeah. That was I, deep, I, man. Yeah. Deep. I mean, deep. yeah, it was deep. <laughs> I, I think most people recognize that the clinical development paradigm that we have today is suboptimal. And I think even people in, in regulatory authorities understand that. I think the question that everyone grapples with is how fast can we move? And I think that's where the gray zone is and people have varying opinions about how fast we can move because even the pandemic aside, um, you know, we need to be better at moving drugs through the pipeline faster. It's not fair because you said it, you know, so I'm only responding to <laughs> Um So I, I think we've got to get a lot better and, and also start to be able to, um, to incorporate these new technologies that are coming online into the development paradigm, because I think this is going to allow us to do some more product development that's akin to what you see in, in technology and software, right? So software, it's very much about, you know, ver getting the versions out there and revising them. We would never want to put something on the market that's not of, a, of acceptable safety and, and, and efficacy. But can you start from a, 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 a very narrow window and one indication and expand it through real world evidence and models and simulations? I mean, I think that's a really meaningful question that people are, are already starting to ask. And that, that could lead us to, you know, a lot more efficiencies than what we see today. But, but by the way, I like I'm just I mean, I'm so much enjoying this discussion. I realized I'm supposed to be the timekeeper and we're oh. like, you know, we're kind of. On, on we're we're edge, teetering right? on the edge. Yeah, I wasn't looking at my watch either. You guys I mean, got me enthralled in in all these I, these. I, honestly, there's no like magic time, but we're just trying to. Um, but any 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 like words of wisdom by Jacob Leport? I'm gonna keep saying that, man. <laughs> oh man, I would say if people are are looking for me for wisdom, it's probably <laughs> no. But I mean. Um, uh, like I, I not not really. I mean, I, I think we're seeing we're on the precipice of an, an absolutely amazing time in in healthcare and and um, in in pharma in general. 
there's so many of these technologies that were absolute science fiction when I was a scientist that are actually turning into real cures. The idea, so I started as a molecular biologist. I didn't mention that in my, in my uh, background. And I was working on a, what was called a homologous recombination pathway. And it was partly was to try to figure out how to edit genes and fix some of these issues. The, the whole gene editing you know, technology that we have today wasn't even known at that point in time. To now see that new paradigm and, and it being discovered and then being turned into a therapeutic is astounding to me. And now to see digital and AI come into this, it's an amazing time. People that are really innovating in the space are finding it difficult now. But what I would say to them is, do not give up. You're, you all are making an incredible impact on one of the most important problems of humanity, which is health and how to get people medicines and extend and improve their lives. So uh, if anything, I just offer those words of encouragement to, to keep going, keep asking questions, keep challenging and doing what you're doing. Cause I've just met some amazing people on this journey. Love it. Shout out to all innovators out there. So. All innovators with, out there. With, with that, um, just don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button. Please hit, do. We, we hit over a hundred, by the way. We had one hundred six or one hundred seven, Jim. So because it, it, because I'm on a uh, on a pay for performance contract here. So if you uh, <laughs> you feel sorry for me, hit the subscribe button so uh, we'll, I can come we'll back. We'll make on. sure we'll make sure we tag Vass in this. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, exactly. One at one at. <laughs> <laughs> and and then we're we're definitely in Joe Rogan's territory with help. Especially with if he if he hits like <laughs> that's the important thing. You better you better call him afterwards then. Hey Voss, please hit like if you see this. <laughs> exactly. Gentlemen, honor and a pleasure as always. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the program, guys. I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I feel, although I realize you might be running out of people by asking me, uh, I do feel uh, very honored to be on the program and keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Thanks for being here. Not, not at all. It's, we, we, we're thinking of doing this every day. No. Awesome. <laughs>